Tell us about the work. Tell us about, have you kind of made discoveries about the characters in unison together? I mean, you're not actually, obviously, the first scene you're together in, but do you come together much throughout the rest of the play? I'm trying to think. Yes, it, it, you know, like I say, my first thought was who's going to play Mrs. Hardcastle, mm. and then look, you know, in your mind, that's who you've got all your scenes with. But then, mm. you know, we are, we're in the first, we're in the beginning, and mm. really the end, mm. and the whole bulk of it, we get separated, don't mm. we? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, no, we talked a lot. I mean, the first two or three days, apart from rolling around on the floor, which is, you know, <laughs> de rigueur, um, we did a lot of uh, talking with a historian, we had a theatrical mm. historian and um, yeah. a more general historian. And um, so we talked through the, the play with, with those guys, and then we just started the scenes, of course, mm. at the beginning of the play. So who are these people? How long have they been together? Uh, they've both got children mm. from a previous relationship. Mm. Um, Kate is my daughter, and Tony is uh, Mrs. Hardcastle's, Dorothy's son. Mm. Mm. So we, we did talk a lot about that, uh, that stuff, didn't we? And mm. uh, tried to get the history of the family. Because in a way, many ways, it is a modern setup, you know, to two parents with children from previous relationships yes. brought together. Because they are opposites in many ways. I mean, Mr. Hardcastle likes the country. Mm. Mrs. Hardcastle likes the town, at least her idea of the town, because she's never actually managed to get to the town, has she? No, Sophie? she's never actually been. Of course, the young, lovely girls have been, but she's never got there. So it's a, it's a, it's a dream, you know, all the, the streets are paved with gold in her head, like in the old fairy tales, and she gets all the gossip papers and and um, reads about that, and she's very keen on the fashion, of course, and so there is a, you feel that there's almost a sadness there, of this lady who is stuck in the countryside, and although I think she really does love Mr. Hardcastle, and You've they have a good... You've not done bad, have you? I mean, I've not done bad. <laughs> she's not slumming Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> we thought that maybe, you know, after the, the first Mrs. Hardcastle had passed away. It wasn't long before uh, Mrs. Lumpkin here wormed her way in. Yes, <laughs> yes. Her just cap, to pay her respects, but also have yeah. a good shift. <laughs> have a good shift here. Have a gander at the manor house. That'll do. Because yes. the squire talks a lot about uh, what presumably is the is it the Seven Years' War or the War of the Austrian Six? Do we ever know? when he did see, if he did, he did in fact see any military service. Yeah, well, interestingly, I mean, one of the things that, pro there's many things which are, uh, will have been relevant to uh, the audience watching it at the time. All mm. of the stuff that Harcastle talks about, and he talks mm. at length about mm. his war stories, they're all complete rubbish. So the Duke of Marlborough and Prince Eugene mm. uh, that he talks about, are, you know, they, they were sort of a hundred years apart. Well, Spani all of the Spanish succession, yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, besieging Denain. And so yeah. everything, I suppose there would have been a lot of humour. Mm. If you were writing the equivalent, it would have been someone telling war stories, but the, uh, the audience would have got that they, they were factually incorrect. Mm. So he's a bit befuddled. I think he has been definitely involved in the military, definitely has seen service and, and seen action, but in, in his mind it's all got a little bit mixed up and, <laughs> and it's just becoming the, re, the mm. retelling of war stories, everything's got a bit mish, mi mixed up, but really that doesn't ha have that much of an impact to a modern audience, so I think the gag now is that just he's, he's droning on. Yes. <laughs> but he does, he likes the country pursuits, he's, he likes his hunting, shooting and fishing, presumably. Mm. Well, he's yeah, quite a jolly man as well. He's quite hos a hospitable cove, isn't he? 
Yeah, I mean, the first scene sets up, I mean, what, what Goldsmith does throughout the whole play is, is work on opposites. Mm -hmm. And we, work, we, we saw an awful lot of that working on the text. So you immediately get, um, I like old things, I like mm -hmm. the countryside, you like new things, mm -hmm. you like the town. So he's constantly setting up these mm -hmm. sort of opposites. But within that, we have, you know, there's, there's humour between Mr. and Mrs. Sarkis. Yeah. So it's not a dead relationship. It's, you know, they like each other's company. Mm. They have a laugh, don't they? I think so. Um, but they do have these di diverging interests. Now, tell me about uh, Tony, uh, Mrs. Hardcut. Uh, yes. Could earlier mother love Tony Lumpkin, one <laughs> thinks? And she, uh, she got, is she sort of slightly uh, deluded about her son, or does she realise what he's like, really, the sort of chap he is? I think she's utterly, utterly devoted, and mm -hmm. um, I think you know he's also he's a, a reflection of her previous husband, mm -hmm. and um, you know who, who she obviously loved as well, I think, and, and lost. So she sees in him a lot of of, of Mr. Lumpkin, I think, and um, mm. and I th and and keeps him close by, by making out he's ill and poorly all the time and things. But I think there's also a truth in there that perhaps, you know, Mr. Lumpkin died of some awful um, disease mm. that, that she fears him getting because she looked, you know, he might look very like him, w w which me and David imagined that he, he, he did. He was a bit of a chip, he's a bit of a chip off the old block, mm -hmm. as they say in the pub, you know. He's, he's very much his father's son, so I think that is, is particularly her, her love is it, it, it's a, it's a double thing through Mr. Lumpkin and then him. And I think she is utterly devoted and yes, perhaps blinded mm -hmm. um, by that devotion, like, like we mums can be sometimes to his, to his vagaries and his other. Well, his, I think that's attractive <laughs> characteristic. Yes, but she wants him to make a good match, and obviously. And she wants him yeah. to make a good match and, and, and do the best by him. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yes, I mean I don't know how long she was a single mum for, you know, and how vulnerable that made her feel mm. in, in a day. Um, but but yes, I think I think she genuinely, when she sees him, she sees a gorgeous gorgeous creature who she adores. Well, and quite. Yeah. I noticed you had an etiquette expert. Uh, what did you learn from her that you used in your portrayals? Well, we did a bit of fan work, didn't we, as a team? In fact, um, I think Mrs. Hardcastle's the only, the only character who actually uses a, a fan. And what I liked about her particularly was Sue Lefton, who came to teach us these um, particular things, um, ways and mores, that are the bows and, and things like that, which you can use and then make your own or chuck away or break, break you know, like mm -hmm. we all do, we break mm -hmm. the rules. But, but um, much as we have today, you know, manners are all there, aren't they? But we we use them in very individual mm. ways, but mm. that, that law still continues. So it, it's not that far off from the similar manners, no, the, the things we do now. But with the fan, they, what intrigued me was in, rather than use it as a, a thing to keep you cool, which I've always found rather irritating in the, in the theatre, lots of fanning, um, they, 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 use, they used it a lot as, as punctuation, and, and I, that I really liked mm. a lot. So I use it to hit people with <laughs> 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 and um, you know they, they, they use their fans in a sort of conducting manner yeah. and to make a point yeah. and I thought oh that's that's mm. great I, I'd like to do that right. so I re mm -hmm. really we really all gained from I mean of course it was wonderful mm. having all these people who were experts in what they do mm. coming in and sharing their yes. sharing their knowledge with us so it's, it's part of the great 
fun about rehearsing. You do, you do get these brilliant people who actually know what they're talking about, <laughs> <and Yeah. laughs> like you have. And, um, <laughs> you can Thank glean, you. you know, you know, you learn a hell of a lot. Now you you have to start the play, but is that is that a special sort of pressure on you to kind of get things going from the outset? Mm. Yes, we did feel that, didn't we? Yeah, we did um, a bit. That it, that it was uh, that, that it was on our shoulders to, mm. to kick it off. Um, of course, Goldsmith intended this play to be what he called a laughing comedy, yes. uh, and at the time there was a lot of sentimental mm. comedies around. And so, mm. you know, you want to you want to get out and lay your stall out. You know that this is going to be a fun evening. It's going to be funny. You're mm. allowed to laugh, mm -hmm. and I think an audience mm. needs to relax into a play. And uh, so we needed to be relaxed and see it as a privilege to, uh, to be the first scene and to be the first people to greet the audience. Mm. And Jamie wanted it very much to be no fourth wall, mm. that you all are characters in, you know, we're sharing this story. Uh, <laughs> so actually, we're, we're in the scene together, but we're playing it all to you. We very <laughs> rarely, <laughs> very rarely look at each other. Yeah. Yeah. So um, mm. it, was, it was daunting to begin with, but we've got a fantastic ensemble mm. um, of, of servants who play the, uh, the, the people in the inn and, and the servants in the house. And so we're all backstage mm. together. It's not just the two of us. No. Uh, and it does start with a wonderful sort of flourish and a bit of music and singing. And But uh, now I really look forward to that scene mm. now. Well, There's a hell of a lot of information in it as well because yes, you're quite. setting up you know, here we live in this mm -hmm. old mansion that looks like an inn. <laughs> 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 you know, and so Jamie mm. was very intent mm. on the, the clarity. Yes. Um, and we, we really, we had to work on that, didn't we? Was at first it felt so, but just getting all the information out there, the sun, mm. the fact that he was a bit of a tear away, mm. and, and um, at, there's lots of things that in that first scene that's set up. But you do it. You do it with a sort of conspiratorial wink at the audience. It's a kind of a similar yeah. side, isn't it, to to get through the exposition, the, the exposition, and we can get on and enjoy the play, which is a fantastic uh, production. Really, it has a great, great jollity, great goodness of spirit. Really, I think, isn't it? I mean, he was a good-natured man, wasn't he, Goldsmith? He by all accounts, yes. indeed, he was. Yes, and Jamie was really, really keen to just make sure that the whole production was was absolutely imbued mm. with, with that generosity of spirit and the fun and the fact that, you know, he genuinely <coughs> just wanted to make people laugh, having got a bit bored with the sentimental um, humorous plays of the time. Um, he wanted it to be really jolly. Do you think there's a sort of moral to it as well? It seems to me that the kind of manners of the town and manners of the country are kind of measured alongside each other. Uh, and I think probably he prefers manners of the country to the town. I mean, do you sense this sort of debate going on in the, in the piece that, say, you know, young Marlowe's way of dealing with the lower orders, his social mm. inferiors, smacks of kind of towny sophistication, a bit, bit sort of corrupting as well? Well, he's, he's the character who has the biggest uh, sort of journey to go on, I suppose, yeah. in that by the end of the play, he's the one who has changed the most and learned the most. Mm. Um, we are pretty much, or you know, <laughs> experienced enough and old enough and slightly set in our ways. Yeah. And we are, you know, th things can happen over the course of this night which are, are very offensive to Mr. Hardcastle, mm. but by the end, he's very happy and open to forgive Marlowe and Hastings for what's happened. And so I think you see there what you're saying about this, you know, the open-heartedness and the generosity mm. in the play. And, and Marlowe, it's very, I mean, Harry um, Haddon-Payton, who plays um, 
Marlowe does a terrific job of, of making him a likeable character because, mm. like you say, some of his attitudes towards the lower classes mm. and, and the discussion he has, he thinks, well, if for those of you who don't know the play, these two uh, characters, Marlowe and Hastings, arrive from London and they're sent to this house, which is, uh, you know, the squire's house, and he's going to, hoping to marry my daughter, but they think it's an inn. They've been tricked into believing it's an inn. So they walk into this place, they're peeling oranges, throwing mm -hmm. stuff on the floor, treating me as the innkeeper mm -hmm. with, you know, as a sort of local character mm -hmm. and being very patronizing towards me and being very patronizing towards the servants. So you definitely get set up early on. This is the, the London way, you mm. know? <laughs> mm. This is um, the towny way. And they are taught over the course of the play by Kate, who stoops to conquer, i.e. Yeah. she becomes the barmaid to, to seduce mm. Marlowe. Marlo. Um, she teaches him a good lesson in, um, mm. you know, in, in, in humility. And uh, so, you know, I, I think you, you, he was having a, a, a go, but at, at the same time, he treats all his characters the same mm. way and, and everyone, no one's left the, the villain of the piece, really. No, I don't think so. Anyway, let's go back to the beginning. Now, so if I was talking about your dad, because your mum, the redoubtable Philo de Law, who was one of my very favourite character ladies of all time. So was there never any doubt that you would go into the, the sort of family business then? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I should have become a plumber, really, shouldn't <laughs> I? Rung the changes. Uh, well, I, do you know, it's silly, really. I, mm. I did feel silly saying I wanted to be an actor when I was little because I thought it sounded a bit pretentious, mm -hmm. you know, a bit like saying I want to be a poet or something. And mm -hmm. it is a funny thing to say out loud. I still find it a bit awkward, you know, when people say, what do you see an actor? It sounds a bit silly when you're not doing it. <laughs> but anyway, that's just one of those things. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I suppose, uh, well, we just, yes, I, we both ended up going into the profession. Mm -hmm. But you see, it wasn't, doesn't go far back. It was just my mum and dad who yeah. I, th I think that's more extraordinary, you know, the thing of, well, no, you're, you're not saying it's extraordinary. You're just saying w there was no doubt that we'd do that, I suppose. So, I mean, my, my sister went, to, you know, was very, was very schooled and went to university and yeah. everything. But I, I left school really young, you know, after I'd done my O-levels, as soon as I could, frankly. And um, I was working when I was 16 in the theatre, you know. And think of that now. I've got a 15-year-old myself. I think, oh, my God. <laughs> I was in Manchester, you know, on my yeah. own. Weird. But anyway, um, I suppose... Th th I mean, we just, yeah, I, I, I didn't really ever want to do anything else. I, I suppose I tried to make believe I, I could mm. do something else. I think I lied to a teacher one and said I wanted to be a vet or a nurse because mm. I thought that sounded very caring and <laughs> sort of tangible. And, uh, and as I say, I was embarrassed to say, you know, I want to be an actor. And then, um, yeah. I, I suppose for actors' children, at least you've seen the yeah. downside of it. You, you don't yeah. go in with any kind of ideals. Well, I idealistic hopes of being in work all the time. You've no. seen the reality of it. That's true. That can be very helpful. And you've been around theatres, you know, and I, I used to love being in theatres. And I, I love, I felt at home there. And, mm -hmm. I, and when I did my drama groups and things of an evening, and the first one I did was in this lady's kitchen up the road from where we lived, mm. um, I was really confoundedly shy. And... Um, but I, I, I talked myself out of that. I got to the point where I thought, gosh, this is terrible. This is not going to work at all. Mm. You know, you've got to get on with it. And um, <coughs> so I, I did lots of drama groups and evening things like that. And 
Yeah, I mean, it's... And here you are. But, but the thing is, you know, it, it is a funny job because it's not like a career. I always people talk about careers. I think yeah. It's not really a career, is it? Because you sort of bundle or muddle from one job to the well, next. Well, maybe your career you from one thing to the <laughs> other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you career about, that's it. That's where the word is, is apt. Did your mum or dad work here ever at the National? Yeah, mum did. Did she you never come did and it. see them here? Yes. I saw mum in the little town <coughs> when we were married. When we were married, yes. Was she in for services rendered and too? And services yeah. rendered, yes. yes. No, great, great times. Yeah. When you, did you ever, ever feel that sort of Florence and Dylan were like siblings, <laughs> or sort of half-siblings, that they kind of claimed your, your father? <laughs> did you, you're kind of jealous of them, of the, uh, the magic roundabout, the way it sort of took over your lives in a way, or certainly his life. Um, not at all. I, I, I'm so utterly mm. proud now. I think when you're kids, you, you, what your mum and dad do, you, you slightly just take for granted, don't you? It's sort of what they do. It's just what they do. They do that. And, um, <coughs> and so it's, I remember sitting with dad and pressing little buttons. He had this sort of reel-to-reel -reel thing, you know. I mean, now it would look, mm. it would be an antique, I suppose. It was like a reel-to-reel and thing with a big spool of mm. tape on and he used to get sent the tapes they made in France and he, he'd just watch it, watch the pictures and, um, and he, then he would write um, his, just his story to those pictures and I'd be there as his little secretary and he'd go, stop, back, <laughs> forward, stop. And that was my task. It was just one little thing on this, stop. Mm. and. Um, I enjoyed doing that, but we didn't, you know, we, we didn't rush down and watch the Magic Roundabout, you know, I mean, I would now, and I did. Mm. I won't show our children, and was really, that was a lovely Because it was on five minutes, wasn't it? It was on after children's hour, wasn't it? Yes. Like quarter to six or it was something. five, yes. Yes, but five, only for five, five minutes. Five to six, yes, just something before like the news. That, before the news. Yeah. Do you remember watching it, Steve? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely, mm. it was... Uh, Th those, those shows that were all always on just before the news always had a slight tinge of you knew you had to do your homework afterwards. Mm. Mm. So there was always a sadness to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just sort of because it was the end of that wonderful mm -hmm. hour and a half of children's television. But uh, no, I, uh, I used to love it, definitely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember chatting to Mark Gatiss when he was here in uh, Season's Greetings a year or so ago. And he was very much a sort of child of the TV generation. Mm. Uh, were you the same? Are you, are you all the same? Are you all the four of you kind of influenced by the Doctor Who's and the things that you saw? Yeah, I mean, we then? were always those kids who, uh, you know, your mum would come into the living room in the summer holidays and say, open those curtains, you're going to play <laughs> out. And we just wanted to watch whatever was on, the wonderful black and white serials mm. and the Laurel and Hardys and the Robinson Crusoes and... Um, and the ironically, Why Don't You, which was a children's <laughs> program, which was tried to encourage you to do other things other than watch television. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we were glued to it. <laughs> um, so, um, yes, and, and I think you, you can probably trace a line right the way mm. back. Uh, you know, what influences, what influence does as a group of writers and still does to this mm. day is, is everything that's come out of that little box, really. Mm. And um, so I don't regret it. I don't see it as time wasted. And, um, but yeah, we, it's, it's when the four of us got together, myself and Mark and Reese were all at um, Bretton Hall Bretton College. Hall, yeah. And we met Jeremy, he was in Leeds University. And we kind of just, we, you know, it just sparked. We mm. had so many things in common uh, to do with our upbringings, our families. And we, we eventually worked out, we'd all seen the, um, 
the screening of uh, Carry On Screaming, which yeah. was on television one bonfire night, because yeah. we all said, I missed a bonfire night just to watch this. <laughs> like, yeah, so did I. <laughs> all four of us had that same memory. Yeah. Whether we kind of made it all up in the spur of the moment, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, we had an awful lot in common, and that stands you in very good stead when you're, you're writing and creating stuff. Yeah. Was there any, I mean, I said earlier on, was there any performing in your background at all? Had any Pembertons ever gone on the stage, as far as you're aware? No, my mum was in the school production of Cinderella playing Prince Charming. Right. And rather than being rather something tenuous. to celebrate, that was <laughs> shrinking down like hiding. Um, but I, you know, so yeah, I don't, I really don't mm. know. I mean, she's not at all theatrical, my mum. Uh, so I don't know where it's come from. Nobody else in my family has done it since, mm. but from an early age, I never ever wanted to do anything else. I mm. remember going into the play group and I can really remember now the Wendy house, which had the big dressing up basket in. And still to this day, that's the greatest thrill is when you get your try your costume on, isn't it? And yeah. you know, it's, there's something about, you know, just sort of looking at, at, at all this stuff that you can put on and, and, and these different personas that you can assume. Mm. And um, I never ever wanted to do anything else, and I'm so thrilled it's it's worked out thus far. Touchwood. Well, I suppose <laughs> the League of Gentlemen, you were all sort of borrowing frocks from the the kind yes. of costume hamper, weren't you? Because yeah. obviously, I could when I first started to watch the program, I could tell who Mark was playing because of his height. But I honestly find it very difficult to differentiate between you and Reese in your various guises as all the various characters. Yeah. Um, the dimple is a good one to look out oh for. Oh, I see. Chin, that's, that's, what a, <laughs> that's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah. But it's, were you, you were all interested in if you, what you might call the sort of darker side or the more bizarre, grotesque side. That's, you seem to all have a taste and a, and a feeling for that kind of material. Absolutely. And, and it's not, it wasn't a conscious mm. thing, really. It's just the way our, our, our writing was and our humour was. And I remember doing the, we used to do shows at the Canal Cafe Theatre mm. and we booked um, every Monday night uh, throughout June, I think it was 1996 probably, uh, or 95, and uh, we used to go every Monday night and put a different show on. And that we did that so that our friends would come back, <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't have an audience. And, um, and I remember people saying afterwards, it's quite dark, isn't it? And we just went, is it? Is it really? I mean, it wasn't a conscious thing. But as soon as that was in our heads, we kind of understood what our strengths were. Mm. Because we did a few sort of very traditional sketches as well. And uh, sketches which, you know, you could have seen on the two Ronnies. I mean, you know, so we mixed it up a mm. bit. Mm. But I think what you've got to find what's unique about you as a writer. And uh, there's so much uh, comedy out there. And that seemed, to be, that seemed to give us an edge and give us a different... Um, and, that, and, and as well, I think it's, it's have finding some depth to the characters. It's very easy in a sketch show mm. to make your characters quite two-dimensional or throw away. And we wanted to tell stories with the characters and always have done. So, um, so yeah, it's... It, it, but also being friends with each other, egg, you can egg each other on. You might not, if you don't know someone very mm. well, you might not make this joke or make this suggestion in case someone else is horrified. Um, but I think that, you know, with friends, you're a lot more... Because uh, it didn't seem that long between you were at the Canal Cafe one minute and you were selling out the Theatre Royal Drury Lane the, <laughs> the next. must yeah. have been the most extraordinary <laughs> it process. Was a very, it was a very quick uh, process because we, we went to Edinburgh with, with mm. our show that based on the sketches we'd done in um, the Canal Cafe, and that was 1996. Mm. 97, we went back and won the Perrier Award, and also did a Radio 4 series. And in 1998, the, the radio series was on, 
99, we were making a TV show. Mm. So that was really two years between being Edinburgh and BBC Two, mm. which is extraordinarily quick. Well, quite. Uh, but so but we did, we'd done the work uh, so that we had the material. We'd mm. put an awful lot of work in in the early days, and this is what I say to, to younger um, writers who, you know, the who anyone who's interested in my opinion, is that uh, if you, w you know, you're hungry in those early stages, aren't you? You really want to make the most of, of those years and, mm. and, and don't say I've got a good hour of material and just keep doing that hour. Keep, keep mm. writing, keep working. Keep because developing. You'll, ne you'll never be so sort of fertile in your imagination, I think. So is the league sort of on the back burner now? Because Mark's obviously gone off, made a great success of Sherlock and there's a showrunner on that and plus all the other things that he's doing. So will you come back together again ever, do you think, or who knows? Well, we are doing in, in sort of bits and bobs. Mm. I mean, me and Reese are writing yeah. a, a show at the moment, and we did Psychoville, yeah. as you referred to earlier, and Mark and I have got a show in development as well. But uh, and we're all still great, great friends, mm. and we would love to get together and, and, and work together again, but we'll just have to see. Um, but, you know, a, a, a career is a l hopefully a long thing. Yes. And, and, and I remember very clearly the saying, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. So you must just take your time and make sure it's the right thing to do. And at the moment, we're all very lucky. We're all on the stage. Mm -hmm. Reese is well, doing Absent Friends. Mark's mm -hmm. at the Donmar. And here I am. So, uh, yeah, we're all sort of uh, well, I feel back to raw roots in a way. I have once, I've, once I interview Reese Shearsmith at the National, I could have at least have done three of the four. Because yeah. Jeremy doesn't, he never goes before a camera. I've often no, wondered, no, he's, he's not just an not a performer at all. But he did write ghost stories, which you may That's have seen. And yes, which, exactly. Uh, talented bunch, talented bunch. Uh -huh. So is it fair to say, I mean, you've both done lots of drama, but are you happiest in comedies, both of you, would you say? Uh, getting a laugh, is that something that you uh, are fond of? Is it something that's very precious to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, um, I remember mm. my f my very first role in um, in the school play, which was playing Mr. Fezziwig in Scrooge, mm. and um, and I, there's not many laughs mm. in that. No. All I had to say, oh, it's Christmas Day, you know, you mm -hmm. can have the day off, because he's quite a jolly character. And w when it came to do the first performance, um, the mums put a lot of talcum powder in my hair to make me look older, to mm. give me a sort of grey hair. I don't need it now, of course. <laughs> and I, and one of my things was, oh, it's Christmas Eve. And when I did this on the actual night, it's big. <laughs> so the next night, I was doing this, you know. Of course, I got half the laugh, and that was an early lesson. But um, the, the, the joy of doing something and making an audience laugh, is, it, it, it's a wonderful thing to have. And, and um, yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, yes, it's, yes. It's, it's, not just, it's not just because you prefer comedy to drama. It's because yeah. there's an audible reaction. Mm. And it, just even if people aren't laughing, you could look out and you can see smiling faces, and it, it, it's wonderful. So, if you've got funny bones, wouldn't you say? I mean, uh, watching your Mrs. Harkas, I was sort of sore, almost holding, <laughs> splitting my sides were nearly split by your <laughs> your kind of strangulated accents, which is such a highlight of the performance. But I've always found you extremely uh, comically engaging. Is this something you're conscious of, having a kind of comedic personality here and there, or is it? Well, funnily enough, I had a similar experience to Steve, you know, when I was at school and did a school prep primary school, and, um, and I, was, I was playing the wicked stepmother or something, and I, I was meant to have this, this enormous bosom, and they put like a pillow in there, and it slipped down as the play progressed, and I suddenly went, oh, my boobs have dropped. 
So I did, you know, without thinking, like you with your head, did this little movement to get them up. And of course, that looked a bit, you know, <laughs> funny. And they laughed. And I thought, oh, and I did exactly the same thing the next <laughs> night, thinking, you know. And of course, yeah, so those early lessons of, yeah, don't, it's not so funny when you do it like that. <laughs> but, um, but then I did end up going to Stratford in the early days as well and did quite a lot of Shakespeare. And it was funny because uh, I got. You, you can sometimes get categorised and you're used as a serious actor, particularly when you've done a couple of Shakespeare's that, that, that aren't terribly amusing. And, um, and so you could, people go, oh, you're a serious actress. And you go, oh, I don't know if I am. And then I fell into doing some sketches with Phil Cool. And um, although I was very much just the feed, um, I thought, oh, this is exciting. I, I like I like this. I like not being seen as a serious mm. actress because that didn't seem quite right. Um, but but I, I what I particularly like is 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 the mix of it really. And you know, I've done lots of things that aren't funny. Yes. Um, some which were meant to be <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, but that's bad. But um, but but the, it's the mix of it really. And and actually, as everyone says that. It's not too far apart anyway. Mm, quite. So now tell us, not many laughs in your character in EastEnders when you uh, no, played. Yeah. Were you aware of, I mean, what was your first reaction when they got in touch with you and discussed the character with you? Yeah. Well, they were quite serious. You know, they said, mm. would you come in and have a talk about it? And I was, oh, yes, I'd like that. Mm. And then um, they said, well, look, this character's going to, the way it's going to develop is she becomes abusive and how do you feel about that? Mm. And I went, oh, crikey. And I thought, well, that sounds like quite a challenge, um, which is always something to be up for. And I, I said, they said, would, you know, would, you, would that worry you? Um, because there's something about EastEnders as well that they realize it's going to, uh, people do, uh, I don't know, it just soaps are quite prolific in that way. They yes. have quite an effect out there sometimes. And I thought, well, well, no, I'd like to have a go. Mm -hmm. That would be great. And it was a very sort of interesting, edifying experience. Was I've, I've done an episode of Casualty, say, or other soaps. You know, you've done an episode, you've popped in and been ill and, and things like that. But to actually be on, mm. on, a, on, a, on a soap for a particular amount of time was a real insight into how they worked. And I was always astonished at how much work they got done and how well they did it. I mean, when I got my first day's... Um, schedule, I thought it was for the week. <laughs> and it was for the day. I mean, it's actually, it blew my mind how much they did, but it is, it is also then quite scary, because sometimes you can have sort of 12 scripts in your bag, because they work in blocks of four, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes if you're in all those blocks, that, if that storyline is quite thick at that time, you can really, I, I was, I, I really, it was wonderful to be able to take my hat off so I entirely. I mean, I'd always been slightly in love with Barbara Knox and Coronation Street, but I couldn't mention that doing EastEnders because <laughs> there's this great sort of rivalry. It's quite weird. <laughs> but um, I'd, she'd always been my, you know, I'd always been amazed by her on Coronation yes. Street and um, really admired her and uh, or some of the other ladies as well in, in, in more... Well, obviously, Kate was obviously brilliant in it as well, but I'd weaned myself off by then because mm. having children, you don't have time to watch. No, I don't suppose you do. But but no, it was it was a it was a wonderful you know each job. I, 
like I was saying, it's odd thinking about because each job is so so utterly different mm. often, and and that was particularly um, was particularly different, and 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 very enjoyable for that very reason. I mean, you were playing obviously an unsympathetic character. I mean, but the actor presumably you feel that you must never pass a moral judgment on the character you're playing, however, mm. you know, badly she behaves. Mm. Did you, f were you, were you able to kind of see things from her point of view? Well, yes, uh, they did write a bit about her backstory and you went to meet her parents and realised she came mm. from this terribly cold um, background and had been partially sort of blamed in a sort of family type way for the, for the death of a sister. Mm. And all of those things um, that I could get into my pocket early on and think actually this person is, is so severe, severely damaged, which mm. I suppose really is, is, is you know, people who, mm -hmm. who behave in such damaging ways are, are, generally speaking, people who have been damaged. And um, you do, actually, when you play any part, want mm. to find the truth of it, however, however deep or, or shallow, if you like, you feel that the story is, you always want to, to, to tell it in a, in a truthful way. And, um, start from there and uh, and I just wanted to make her real and and yes I suppose Alan make her not just a baddie that's every I'd heard, often heard actors say oh it's much more fun playing the baddie and I never really played a baddie I'd often played um very empathetic people or you know dotty people or but sad people or, or funny people, but never really a baddie so that's really was my main attraction and and it was fascinating and um, uh, I understood then what what people meant because it's 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 finding the way to to make a baddie, not just a baddie. Yeah, but I mean, as you say, there's a tremendous sort of access to people's living rooms when you're playing a character like that. Mm. I mean, when you went about North London with your two boys, did nobody, did members of the public? <laughs> get confused between Stella and Sophie. A little bit. I had to stop going to Archway Swimming Pool with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite frightening. What quite? <laughs> the power. All the children, because it was a children's story, you know. Mm. We used to go to Archway Swimming and every Sunday, and I went along quite innocently, you know. The story had been out for two or three weeks, and it was... I had to get out of the pool. It was quite... All these little kids were <laughs> suddenly... Um, I was like fish food, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I said to the boys, I think we might have to not go swimming for a bit because <laughs> poor poor them, they were like, oh, they've gone Stella, <laughs> and um, yeah, but it, it goes very quickly because it is like a magazine program, it, you know, soaps go, it, it wears off very quickly, mm. which is great as well, you know, because the stories, the turnover of stories and drama is so intense and fantastical. How long were you in it for? Seven, uh, nine months. Okay. Yeah, enough time to have a child. <laughs> <laughs> now you're both parents, so how does, how, I mean, God knows the business is tricky enough and tough enough and demanding enough. How do you both manage to find time for family and domestic things as well as business and work? Is it a constant, you know, juggling the, the, process? There's, there's sort of peaks and troughs, really. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we're both, we talk about our kids a lot, don't we? Yeah. And, and, and you have the rehearsal, doing something like this, you have a very intense rehearsal process for uh, six weeks. And, and then you get to a process like now with the performance mm -hmm. and, and you've got your days free. Mm -hmm. um, 
So similarly, when, when, you know, for myself, if I'm writing, I'm at home an awful lot. I always drop the kids off at school and I always pick them up. So they're my working hours. Uh, and then I go away to Benidorm and I film for three months. But within that, they can come over a couple of times and have holidays. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's your job. And, and like you said earlier, you take for granted that that's what your parents do mm. for their job. And, um, and, and they get used to sometimes not having you there. I mean, I found it very hard at first going away. Mm. Uh, to be in another country to film and I, I didn't like to be more than two weeks or two and a half weeks before coming back and and reconnecting but um mm. but there's great benefits as well i mean you know i was a, i've been able to take my son to a film premiere uh, that they're coming to see this in the easter holidays they've seen me on stage do musicals and, and and wonderful things and they get to meet all you know so there's wonderful benefits to it it is tough at times but that's, it's our job so mm -hmm. And do you feel the same, Sophia? This? I think when you're a mum or, or dad, you know, working is... It, the, everybody has moments where you think, crikey, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, you, like you say, you're a team at home, me and Rich, and we're both actors, but yeah. you kind of muddle along. And sometimes we look back mm -hmm. and go, how did we do that bit? And I go, God, I can't know. I, but I took Ernie, and both Ernie and what I got um, when they were three months old, both times I was doing, starting to do the sitcom, you know, and I was still breastfeeding and a mate would bring them and we'd go, they'd come along to the studio and all sorts of machinations mm. you work it out and like everybody does, all mums and dads are work, you know, with work, it, it, is, it, is, it is sometimes a bit of a challenge, you think, crikey, but actually, I mean, obviously when they're small you can carry them about everywhere, can't you, and that's really fun take them into work and everyone has a turn. <laughs> and like Steve says as well, you know, the boys came the other night and yeah. I showed them backstage and, you know, they get an insight and, and um, it takes away the, the, they know it's not, um, it makes it real and, and, you know, they know the reality of it as well, which is nice. If any of them want to follow you into the profession, would you be encouraging or would you sort of disown them on the, on the <laughs> spot? What, what will you say? I think you, uh, I mean, because, you know, for myself, I've, I've, I've been through that. I didn't, I mean, my parents almost begged me not to do it mm. and to do languages because I spoke French and German and uh, I, I could have done that at university instead. But um, I, I couldn't, it would be hypocritical to, you know, mm. to do anything other than what my parents did, which yeah. is to, to go with it. And I, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to think I'd be very supportive and that they would be fully aware of what they were mm. letting themselves in for because, you know, it's a huge struggle. And uh, I just think, you know, I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky to, to, to just keep working. And, um, but yeah, I would be supportive, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, look out for no more theatrical dynasties <laughs> in the future, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's been such oh. a thrill and a treat to take a dish of tea <laughs> with Squire and Mrs. Hardcastle. <laughs> Please join me in thanking Sophie Thompson Thank and Steve Pemberton. Thank you.